Okay, everyone. Good morning. Great to see you all. I hope, like me, you're looking forward to the fun run next week. Excited about that. I'm not convinced because I'm actually wearing one. I've got this one on today to model to you, but I'm actually wearing a pink one next week, which will be snug, that's all I can say, and a pink wig. So looking forward to a bit of fun getting out into the community. Obviously, we won't be here. Um, we'll be out in the community next week, so there's no meeting here, but then the week after, we'll be back here as normal. Now, before we get into what we've got today, if you've got a Bible, you can go to Matthew 25. We'll be getting there in just a moment, Matthew 25. But before we do that, let's try and frame a little bit of what, we're, what I want to talk about today. Um, I don't know if you've ever um, taken the time to work out um, what your name means. Having the responsibility of naming two children, suddenly this becomes quite a real thing to you. And it reminded me, as I was preparing this, a while back, way back in the distance of time before we had kids, and we were, we were with some friends, and we were starting talking about this thing about what does your name mean. We had a friend called Wayne, and he was suddenly really curious. I wonder what my name means. What does Wayne mean? And we found out his name meant wagon driver. <laughs> and he wasn't that impressed. He was happy with his name. He liked his name. That was a fine name. His mum and dad had given it to him. But the meaning of it was just like, oh, wagon driver. Not sure about that. He wasn't so keen. And we started looking around. And so Melanie, we, we said, what does Melanie mean? My wife's name. Melanie means dark-haired beauty. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, I thought that's a spot-on one, isn't it? Because apparently when she was born, she had a mop. I've seen the pictures. She looks just like our youngest son, Ashton, which is one huge mop of dark hair. Um, if you put the pictures side by side, it's incredible. But that's why her parents named her Melanie, because it, she was a dark-haired beauty when she was born. And then when we came to naming our children, we thought about, you know, what, what names do we like and then what do we mean? Sometimes we like a name, you find out what it means, you think, ah, not so keen on that. But our eldest son is called Levi, um, and it means attached, pledged, or joined to God. And we thought, we like that. If you think about the Levites, the tribe in the Old Testament who were set apart for God... They didn't have an inheritance of their own in the land. They had their inheritance was God, and we thought that was wonderful. Uh, Asher, our youngest, means happy or blessed, abundant happiness. And I remember just after he was born and he started talking, he used to wander around the house, and all he'd say to us is, Daddy, I'm so happy. And that was, just, that, was just, that was it. And that's if you know his nature, he'll give away his smile for free. He's just happy to be grinning and just enjoying life. And then I looked up my name. Stuart, it means steward, it literally means steward, 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 the keeper of the household, the guardian, the one who looks after precious things. It's a name of responsibility, of taking care of something, which for me, I thought, was a huge thing considering what I do in terms of my life, being married with kids, but also being a pastor of a church. And then I looked up my surname, Crane, it means skinny and long-legged. <laughs> oh, the irony. The irony of that. But anyway, my, my name, Stuart. What we're going to look at today is this whole idea of stewarding, of taking care of things. When you're a steward of something, you look after something that doesn't belong to you, but you are responsible for it anyway, and you are to take care of this. And we're in the, our series now, What's in Your Wallet? We're on to week four. And if you've missed any of this or you're kind of coming in cold, let me just kind of try and give you a brief rundown of where we are. I felt God prompt me a number of months ago, the end of last year, about looking at this whole area of kind of money and possessions, which is very much our cultural sort of narrative we're living out now. We're living in this time of 
accumulating more, you've got to get more, you're judged by what you have, what you earn, where you live, the car you drive, etc., etc. And the, the prevailing winds of our culture is to accumulate more. You just have to look at the television, the advertising, the da-da-da-da-da, it's always more, more, more. And yet you put that against, from a global perspective, we are the richest people in the world, globally speaking, in terms of what we have and what is available to us. The average UK uh, salary we found out was about £26,000. That puts you in the top 1% of earners on planet Earth. And when we're nearing, what, 7 billion of us, that's pretty kind of jaw-dropping. Even if you earn minimum wage in this country, that's about 13000 That still puts you in the top 5 6% of the planet in terms of your earning capacity. And this pursuit of stuff and more is just our way of life. It's what we do. It's one of our cultural idols that we have here in the West. And it's something that, that I think God wants to poke, wants to, to push out. And I remember reading and I read out the quote where actually one commentator says, the greatest threat to Western Christianity is not atheism or new age or radical Islam or anything like that. It's, it's, the, it's the acclamation of stuff. It's materialism that would just push God out of our life at the pursuit of going after money and possessions. And so what we've done over these weeks, we've looked at what Jesus has to say about this. We've looked, part one was loving and how we looked at um, the rich young ruler and actually how loving money and loving stuff can lead you away from God. It leads to disaster. The second part was serving. And we found out you cannot serve both God and money. It's actually impossible, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. You've got to kind of make your choice of how we're going to live, this, live your life. And then the last one, part three, was seeking. What are you going to seek after in this life? And as believers, we are to prioritize God's kingdom and his glory and his fame and himself above everything else that we may pursue or culture may tell us to pursue. And today we've reached part four, which is stewardship. Now, I'll put in the usual caveats. We're not about to take up an offering. It's not that the plate isn't suddenly going to go around. The church isn't short of money. We had a director's meeting a couple of weeks back. Everything's going well. We're meeting bills. We're hitting budget. Everything's going fine. So that's good. I'm not looking for a raise, so we're not kind of queuing you up for that. But I am hoping this isn't uncomfortable for you. Because when you poke cultural idols, it should make you uncomfortable because it's going against the kind of the thoughts of this age, which we're all just, we, it's the air we breathe, and we're all kind of part of that. And we can't sort of, we have to fight against it. And I know in preparing this series and looking at this, um, I've, I've made myself uncomfortable by studying it and then looking at my life and how I think about things and think I didn't think I, didn't think, I thought I had that sorted and suddenly realised that I can shift. You can just drift with the, the river of culture and you find out actually no, I need to, to relook at this and how I'm living life and how I'm treating money and possessions. I recommend a book here, The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcon. If you haven't grabbed that, I sent a link out in the emails. Grab that, have a read. It's really helpful. Uh, in just unpacking some of this stuff. All right, we're going to look at the passage. Matthew 25, we start at verse 14. If you're familiar with some of the parables of Jesus, this is a, um, one of them. It's a, a parable which is a little story with a big idea. That's kind of what a parable is, and I'm going to read it out. It's a parable of the talents. If you haven't got your Bible, it's up here on the screen, and I will read it to you. So Jesus is saying, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. To each according to his ability, then he went away. He received the five talents, went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. 
So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing the five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, and he also had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seeds. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what's yours. But the, his master answered, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I've not sown and gather where I've scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has been given more, uh, sorry, to everyone who has will be more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast, he cast out the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, big idea. Big idea for today is everything we have belongs to God. Everything we have belongs to God. We are just stewards. We are just stewards. All right, look at three things today. We look at the responsibility of the servants, then we're going to look at the good servant, then we're going to look at the bad servant. First one, the responsibility of the servant. But the parable begins for it will be like Jesus is in the showing par, uh, telling some parables. He's just told one about the ten virgins, um, and he talks about the kingdom of God, and then he tells another one, which is this one. So we're talking about the kingdom of God. This is how the kingdom operates. So we talk, Jesus is talking about his kingdom, and he tells his story. He says, There's a master, and he's leaving, and he's going away, and he wants his stuff well looked after. So he pulls his three servants, and he entrusts to them. Now, he says that they have a talent. Now, a talent was a, a unit of weight. Um, and he gave to one, five, one, three, uh, sorry, one, two, and one, one. And the, the talent of weight was the largest uh, unit of weight at the time. We don't know what that kind of represents, scholars debate. Because could you, could you, could you weigh out gold or silver or copper, or there could be lots of things behind it. But the key is that one of them had an awful lot, five. One had a lot in terms of two, and one had one, which wasn't an insignificant amount, still a good amount in terms of what he had been given. And so actually they'd all been given something, and they'd all been given a lot, and they had to, have to do something with it. And the, the distribution wasn't even. One was given five, one was given two, one was given one, but the, the point was they'd all been given something to do. Now, interestingly, no instructions were given explicitly by the master. There was a little bit of, well, you've got to you know, use a bit of your initiative servants. How do, you, how do you use this? And then the master goes off on his um, journey. And so what we've got is the stewards there have been given something, the, number, the amount of talents, and their responsibility is to do something with it. They are to be faithful with whatever the master had given them. Not looking at left or right saying, well, you've got more than me or you've got less than me. And that, no, whatever they've got, they had to be faithful with it. And what do we see? The first servant 
goes diligently to work straight away. And it says he traded them, he obviously engaged in something, and it soon says soon he got back exactly the same amount he had started. So he had doubled what he had got. He started with five, he suddenly had ten. That's amazing. He had been diligent about his work. The second servant who had received two, again, does the same thing. He doubles the amount of stuff given to him. Wonderful. He'd been diligent about his work. But the third servant, when you get to verse 18, it just says, but. Okay, so it's kind of a, the tone has changed. And what did he do? He, he went and hid his in the ground. He dug a hole, put it in the ground, covered it up, and went away, which means in one sense there is absolutely no possibility of lost. He's lost. He's hid it. It's not like it can be taken. I've hidden it. No one will find it. It's safe, so to speak. But on the other hand, there's no possibility of gain. It's literally just going to sit there all the time. So they've got their responsibility. Two go straight to work. One goes and hides it. Now we look at the good servants. The master comes back, and it, just, it doesn't say how long. It just says after a long time. It's unspecified. And I imagine, I don't know about you, but when the master returns, it was probably unexpected. If the master had gone away for a long time, how long? Well, just a long time. Well, when is that? Days roll into weeks, roll into months, roll into years, into decades. And so life just carries on. You can get a bit complacent. You know, is he coming back? When's he coming back? And then suddenly he's there. The master has returned and he's going to settle accounts with his servants. I imagine they were a little bit shocked. And the first to receive his money, he comes and talks to the, uh, the master and says, Well, you gave me five. Look what I've done. I've now got twice as much as when I started. And how does the master respond? He says he approves of his actions. What does he say? Well done, good and faithful servant. He affirms his character. He affirms his diligence in what he was doing. He says, that is really great, what you've done. And he says, this is a really fascinating bit, he says, you've been, what you've been, you've been faithful with a little, he says. Bear in mind, five talents would have been a huge amount. Especially if it was gold, that's a lot. And he says, by the way, you've been faithful with a little. What does that say about the master? The master is extremely wealthy. The master has staggering wealth. He said, look, what you, you've done that, brilliant, with a little, but actually now I'm going to put you over a lot. And so the master is obviously a man of great means, hugely wealthy in what he's done, and he commends him. And he says, come into the joy of your master and kind of share with everything I've got. And if you think of how rich the master is, that's quite a reward for the faithfulness of the servant. He gets to come in and enjoy that. What about the second servant? Now, obviously, the second servant, you think, well, he had less to start with. He can't be affirmed quite as much as the first servant because he only got two and he's only made two. So he's made a bit, but nowhere near as much as the other guy. And what does the, Lord, what does the master say? The two exchanges, if you look, are absolutely identical. What does he say to me? He says, I had two, I've doubled it, here's more. And actually the master response is the same. Well done, good and faithful servant. I will come and joy, you know, into the joy of your master. There is no distinction between those first two servants, regardless of what they got. No distinction whatsoever. The key there was their faithfulness. They were both faithful in what they had and they were both rewarded of it. It doesn't matter about the amounts that they were given. They were just both commended the same way by the master. Then we get the final servant and we know it's not going to go well, the bad servant. So he comes forward 
And he makes an accusation of the martyrs. He calls him a hard man. Which interestingly, if you think about that, that undermines his own defence. He basically says, you're really quite hard in what you do. You're kind of, you're scattering, or you, you reap where you haven't scattered. He's basically saying, you're a sharp businessman. You're savvy. You work things out, and you know where how, to, how, to, how to kind of make money and accumulate things. And so he's saying, because you're hard, I basically went and hid, hid the money in the ground. And actually, that undermines him, because actually, it's almost like, well, if you knew I was a hard taskmaster, you should have at least put the money where? In the bank. Why? Because what does a bank do? Not in this day and age, but you know, go back a few years, <laughs> it would have earned interest. You would have at least been something to show for what I've given you. This stuff I've entrusted you, there would at least have been something about that. And it's actually, you've just, you've just been undermined by your own accusation, this um, servant. So actually saying, if you'd have put it in the bank, at least, there'd at least have been something to come back to. But in essence, what I've got is the exact amount I gave you. There's nothing to show for all this time I've been away. You've got nothing to show for that kind of responsibility, that trust I've given you. And it seems that the, um, the, the servant was... Paralyzed by fear, laziness, um, and just not wanting to kind of take responsibility. And the master responds by calling him what? He says, wicked and slothful, lazy servant. You receive this money, you failed to use it, and you refused to work for any gain. You just, you just didn't kind of, you didn't make any effort with all I've given you. And he didn't use the talent he'd been given, the money he'd been given for anything productive. And the, the master's cross because it's so easy to do that in terms of just putting the bank, you get something out of this. But actually, so he is rebuked for his behavior. He is told off and he said, actually, no. You, what you've done is you failed your master. The other two did great. You haven't done but well in this one. And he's basically said, what you've got will be taken from you because you're not willing to use it. You're not using it productively. You're not using, well, I'm actually going to take that away and give it to someone who is faithful and they will have more. And Jesus is highlighting this spiritual truth that actually if you've been given stuff and you fail to use it, you will ultimately lose it. And actually this is uh, something for his followers to actually take seriously and actually think, oh my goodness, what has God given me to that I need to be used uh, for him? One commentator said this, Good stewardship of little things in God's kingdom brings greater privilege and responsibility. Poor stewardship leads to even losing what one has. Losing what one has. All right, there's the story. Let's look at a few application points out of that. First one, we are all given different amounts by God. We're all given different amounts by God. We've been talking about money and possessions. We've talked about a whole bunch of things in there. Let's look at some of the in light of what that means for us. The three servants were given different amounts. And the same follows through for us. It follows through for the church. It follows for all members of God's kingdom. We all have different amounts of money and possessions. And it's something kind of when we're kind of being polite and nice we don't like to talk about. But that's the reality. And this can be dependent on a whole multitude of factors. It can be on your job income, your life situation. Because the reality is some jobs are simply made paid more than others, aren't they? We all know that. Public sector versus private sector. There's just, there, uses, there is just a wage discrepancy, you know, unless, unless you're a politician and you're doing really well, you know, out of that. But that's just the reality. We go into different jobs. When I first started, I was a teacher. 
And I knew I wanted to do that, and I knew God called me to it, but the reality was you're never going to earn megabucks being a teacher. You're going to earn well, but it's never going to be amazing. And that's just the reality of it, and that's fine with that. You might be in full-time versus part-time uh, work. One will clearly pay more than other. If you work more, you get paid more than if you work less. Retired, again, if you're on a pension, it can be less than a full-time uh, job. You can also be constrained by health and family situations. You know, poor health means it's unable to work, makes it harder, rely on a you know, welfare state and things like that. There's just those realities which come into life. If you're caring for others, it just makes life difficult. And we all have to recognize that. We go through different seasons of life. I shared last, um, last time, two weeks ago, before Donald came and spoke to us, that actually our family income has gone up and down depending on seasons of life. It's where we were when we moved jobs, suddenly you've got children and the income comes down. This is just the reality of where we are. And it's, you know, to be honest, it's self-evident, isn't it? You look around the church, you think, actually, yeah, there are different ones, different jobs. But the reality is, in the church, that's okay. That's okay. That's the reality. Some of us are going to earn more than others. Some of us are going to have more money, more um, than others. Paul even addressed this in some of his letters. He, when he talks to people in the church, he talks about the rich, those who are rich and those who don't have so much. He talks about slaves and masters in Ephesians. Um, and actually, there's just that discrepancy, but that's normal. Because why is that okay in the church? Because... We're all saved by one gospel. We're all saved by grace. None of us earn our way into God's kingdom. Someone once said that the, the, the ground at the foot of the cross is what? It's level. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've got or where you come from. We're all sinners in need of grace. We've all been saved by that, transformed to holy, righteous saints before him. Not because we've earned it, because he's chosen to forgive us. He's chosen to call us out. Jesus came, he lived that perfect life, he, the life we couldn't live, he died the death that we deserve so we can receive life in him. And ultimately that's the great leveler. It doesn't matter what you've got, it doesn't matter where you come from, it doesn't matter your background. Because before God we're all equal in him, we're all sons and daughters and children before him and it doesn't matter sort of where it comes from. And it's not something that's good or bad that we should look at and think, mm, we should create a hierarchy because in his kingdom we're all equal. We're all in need of him. Second thing, it all belongs to him. It all belongs to him. Psalm 24 verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and, just to be clear, everything in it. Say everything. Say it again. Everything. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It all belongs to him. You are merely his money manager. That's your role. You're merely his steward. You're responsible. It's not yours. It's not ours. No matter what you've got, whether you think it's a lot or you think it's little, it all belongs to him. Everything you have belongs to him. Go through an inventory in your life. Your home, wherever you came from this morning, it's not yours. The car that you used to get here, it's not yours. I didn't use a car. Okay, the bike you came on, the shoes you walked in, they're not yours. The food in your cupboards and in your fridge for when you get home and have some lunch, it's not yours. The money in your bank account, it's not yours. It doesn't belong to you. From a biblical perspective, everything belongs to God. Now, I know some of you, the lawyers in here, are already thinking, well, technically, actually, legally, it is mine. Yeah, okay. I have, I have a wife. She's mine in that sense. She's no one else's wife. I have children. They're mine and nobody else's. I have a car. You know, it's mine. But... Let's just look above that. It's not ours. It doesn't belong to us. Nothing does. And 
One of the things that we need to hit and we need to, to kind of deal with that is kind of the attitude in the heart, which is quite a modern Western one, is we talk about things like, well, I earned it. I earned that money. You know, it's mine. I got it. I worked hard at school and I got the qualification or I went through university or I did the exam. I did whatever it is. I've worked hard. I nailed that job interview. I've put in the, you know, 12, 14 hour days, week after week, and I've, I've got myself to where I am. I've pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I didn't get those opportunities. I've worked. I, 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 I. And that's kind of the attitude people have, and that's the prevailing one, actually. You know, I earned this, I've deserved this. This home, this job, this car, whatever it is. But the reality is, none of it's yours. And even if we examine those statements, which start when we're children, one of the first things I noticed my kids say when they could start speaking was, what's one of the first words they say? After daddy, mine. And the both of them would do that. They'd snatch it, they'd grab it, mine. It's not yours. I paid for that. I provided that. It's not. And they'd look at you really kind of like, mine. You know, and they'd have that tone on the way they'd say it. And you're like, you've got no idea. And even now, you know, they're growing, but you just haven't a clue. It's not yours. And even from the theological perspective, if we examine some of these statements, which we start as a child and we grow up and we keep doing them, and we think about them, okay, you've worked in that job, but who gave you the strength to work day after day in that job? Who gave you that opportunity to take that job? Who, who helped you in that interview? Who showed you favor on the part of the employer who looked at you and thought, you know what, I'll have him, I'll have her come and work in my department? Who gave you that promotion to get that? Who allowed you to go to be born in a country where you could go to school, you could go to university, you could earn these qualifications? You have, you know, my kids go to school and it's, it's free and they can just go and get a top-class education. I'm like... Who, who's behind all that? And if we drill back and back and back, there's only one answer. God. Who gave you the brain where you can think and you think, oh, my brain works in this way. I just know music or I know numbers or I know people. God gave you that. God gave you the breath in your body right now to breathe in and out. If he takes it, you're dead. It's as simple as that. And so everything we have belongs to him. Absolutely everything from the clothes we wear, the food we eat, the home we live in, the money we earn that comes in every month from our paycheck, everything is his. And I want to challenge you this week. We've done the, um, the scrapyard challenge, haven't we? And the charity shop challenge. This is going in a scrapyard just to remind us. I want you to go through this one this week, and I want you to do the um, this doesn't belong to me challenge. Every time you go, open your front door to go home, you're going to do it soon, aren't you, when you go home? This isn't mine. When you get in your cars to drive home, this doesn't belong to me. Every time you process a transaction, you pay money, you, you use your card, whether it's online or in person or whatever it is, this isn't mine. This isn't my money that I'm using now to do this, to buy this, to make this happen. This isn't mine. This belongs to God. Every time you check your phone, oh, it's not my phone. It's God's phone. He's provided this for me. He's gracious and good in that sense. See how that works out for you this week. You're welcome. Number three. Number three. We are to be faithful with what God has given us. The more we have, the more we're expected to do for God's kingdom. 
And just to baseline it, just so you know where I'm coming from, because we live in this culture and we live in this nation at this time, we have a lot. Even if you look to the left and right and think, well, Joe Bloggs down there, he earns way more than I do, or she earns way, I don't care. We are all in that back. We all have an awful lot from what God has provided for us and what we have available in this country. And actually, we are to use it well for God's kingdom. And you have that responsibility to use whatever God has given you to be using for his kingdom. So here's a question for you. What are you spending God's money on? What are you spending God's money on? That's a, that's a frightening one, isn't it? Because imagine, you know, some people have, um, you know, you hear about the, the uber-rich, the mega-rich. They call them the one percenters, but actually, according to that global riches, some of us will be in that group anyway, that top one percent of earners in the world. Um, but actually, they, they have people who kind of just look after their money. How do you think they'd find if I was a, you know, I was one of their money managers, and who, who do we have? Someone like Bill Gates, he's got a bit of money, hasn't he? Stuart, here's a billion, I want you to manage this. And what happens if you came to me and found out that I just bought this mega mansion, have you seen my Aston Martin, and I've done my round the world trips, and, and all this thing, I was at the FA Cup final yesterday, you know, I was just, yeah, do you think Bill would be happy? I can imagine Bill being like, Stu, you mean, it's my money, why are you doing that with it, you should be investing it for me, and accumulating it for me. We sit up find ourselves in the same position. God's saying, what are you doing with my money? Now, obviously, we've got needs we need covering. It's not wrong to have shelter. It's not wrong to have food. It's not wrong to have clothing. None of those things are wrong. But actually, beyond once you've covered your needs, what are you using God's money for? What are you giving God's money for? Now, there are certain things that can stop us using that money well. As we've seen from the story, we've talked about um, there was fear on the part of the servant. One of the legitimate questions that we all face is actually, will God provide for me? Am I going to have enough to feed myself, feed my family? Am I going to have enough if I start using God's money for other things? We saw that we addressed that in, um, I think it was Sermon 2 or 3. What do we find out? If we seek first God's kingdom, what will he do? He'll provide. He said, look at the, the birds. I provide for them. Look at the flowers that are just going to be dead tomorrow. I dress them so well. God will provide. It can also be just sheer laziness. We just can't be bothered. We've got it, we want to consume it on ourselves. And total selfishness as well, which kind of links back to the previous point. I read this in one of the books I was doing research on. It said, God prospers us not to increase our standard of living, but to increase what we do for his kingdom. God prospers us not to increase our standard of living, but to increase what we do for his kingdom. The more we have, the more we're expected to do for his kingdom. Think about the five-talent person. He produced five talents. So he, was, he did more than the two-talent person because he had more. And the standard was higher for him. They were both faithful. And the reality is, because of where we live and the town we live and the kind of congregation we are, some of us are going to have a lot of money. Some of us are going to have staggering amounts of money. Some of you guys are going to earn well. Some of you are only at the beginning of your careers and it's just going to increase. And you're going to be earning lots and lots of money. Six-figure incomes, you're going to have uh, bonuses and uh, the kind of payouts and all those kind of things that happen. That's just the reality of where we are. 
So the challenge set before you is, what are you going to do with it? Some of you have, will have really good pensions that you're kind of like, what are we going to do with this money that we've got, that God has provided for us? And it's a huge challenge for us. And I want to be clear, it's not a sin to have lots of money. It's not a sin to earn lots of money. It's not a sin to be a great business person or an entrepreneur or whatever and generate income. However, it might be a sin to keep it. It might be a sin to keep it. So there's nothing wrong with earning. There's just some jobs that just earn lots of money, and that's fine. But actually, it's what are you going to do with it? How are you going to use your money for his kingdom in terms of the church, giving to the church, serving the needy, serving the poor, blessing others that you know around you who don't have as much as you? How can you use it to just bless and help others and be good to them? How can you use it to be a positive influence on others around them or for God's kingdom? How can you use it to show Jesus love and generosity? He gave you everything. How can you use that to then demonstrate that message on with others? It's a huge challenge for us today. Now, we've obviously got one more week of this um, series. Next week is the fun run. The week after is the final one. We're going to talk about giving. Everyone go, woo! We know where that's going to go, and that's going to be the one that we're going to pack this place out because everyone's going to want to be here for that part. And to be honest, you all knew it was coming, didn't you? When I told you this is what the series, you know where we're going to land the plane. So we're going to dive into that in detail two weeks' time. But don't let this message go. Everything we have is God's. Absolutely everything. It's not yours. Never has been, never will be. And that means there's a responsibility on each of us. And it doesn't matter if you think, well, I'm only a one talent. In fact, I'm not even the one talent guy. I'm like the half talent one or the, the quarter talent one. Or actually, what's the heck's a talent? I've got a few kilogram over here. That's, that's all I... It doesn't matter. We're all responsible. So we can't, we can't bug out and say, actually... Actually, because I don't think I have that much, relatively speaking, I'm not responsible. We're all responsible for every single thing we have. And the question is, how are we going to use it for his kingdom? If you've got your wallet, get out. I didn't bring mine up here. Mine's still in my bag. I'll hold my phone to resemble my wallet. Pick out your, pick out your wallet, have a good look at it, or your purse. If you haven't got that, pick up a phone or something valuable. We do this at the end of each of these sermons uh, in this series. And I just want to remind us, oh, you got my wallet, thank you. Got my wallet here. Week one, we talked about loving. And we said that money can be very, very dangerous. Look at your, your wallet and say, this is dangerous. If we love this over God, it will lead us away from it. It can lead us to disaster. The rich young ruler was standing in front of Jesus Christ, the Savior, and chose to walk away because he loved his money. What's in your wallet should be a health warning that says, danger. Be careful. It can be used for great good, like a fire. Fire is wonderful. It can keep you warm. You can cook food on it. But it can also destroy your house. So number one, it's dangerous. Number two. Look at your wallet and say, I cannot take this with me. I can't take this with me. It doesn't matter what I get out of it. It's all going in the scrapyard or the charity shop or the landfill. Also, we found out that we cannot serve this and money. Sorry, this and Jesus. This is money. This and Jesus. There you go. You can't serve this and Jesus. I have to pick. I've got to choose. Am I going to choose 
this or am I going to choose to serve Jesus? We also found out in week two that this reveals our heart. It's like a compass. What we spend it on, it points to what we think is value because where our treasure is, there our heart is. So that was number two. Week three, we found out that God will provide for our needs. And the question here we're looking at this is, is this going to drive my life? Is this going to be my priority? Because Jesus says, seek first his kingdom. So actually, this has got to come second place in priority to Jesus, because Jesus needs to be top over everything. And so this week, look at your wallet and say, this doesn't belong to me. <laughs> it's not mine. What should be inside here? You know when you're a kid, you have these, those stickers and stuff you put in that says, this belongs to, and there's a gap? You should have one of those in your wallet, and it should say, Jesus, this belongs to Jesus. And he's really good, and he lets us use it and manage it, and we get a bit of, we get a bit of freedom to work out how we do that, but ultimately, this is not ours. It doesn't belong to us. Look at your wallet again and ask yourself this question. How am I going to use this for God's kingdom? Oh, that was half-hearted and terrible. That was, that, was just, that was bad. Come on. How am I going to use this for God's kingdom? Say again. It all belongs to God. I just manage it. Let's just pray to finish. Band, you want to come up and we're going to worship. Just, maybe you want to stand, stand to your feet. Let me just close your eyes. Four weeks in, we're almost there, one more. But let's just let some of that truth go down into your heart. We are just stewards. We are just money managers. We've been given responsibility like those servants. We've been given something by God. And we focused on money here because it's that serious, but actually there's a wider thing in terms of we've been given opportunities by God and, and gifting and talents and all sorts of things. But we're just looking at money for the sake of this sermon um, series. But actually everything you have, every penny that's come into your hand and every penny that will come into your hand in the future is a gift from God and a responsibility for us to use for his kingdom. I just want that to land and rest on us because we'll, we'll unpack it more next week, uh, two weeks' time, when we look at sort of the, the actual giving and the outworking of this. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for all you have given us. Lord, that we live in a time and in a land and a place of huge abundance, staggering abundance that we get to just live in. And we just, I've just, we're just born here, and this is our country, and this is what we get. And I just. I thank you for what you've brought us into. Lord, I thank you for all the opportunities you've given us. Thank you for the jobs and the homes and the families you provided for us. Lord, we thank you for what that can get us. Lord Jesus, it's just it's stunning. Lord God, but I pray that we would not... No, I pray that we would feel the weight of responsibility that comes with it. We would feel that weight of responsibility that because we've been given much... We are asked much as well. We have to use it wisely for his kingdom. Lord, forgive us where we have chose to prioritize ourselves and consume it on ourselves over others selfishly. Forgive attitudes that have said it's mine when actually it's not. It never has been and it never will be. And Lord, we ask you give us grace to steward your riches wisely.
to steward your money wisely, to be like the first two servants in that parable. For many, many years, I've lived my life with this kind of conviction or call is actually, I want to get to the end. I want to cross the finish line. I want to run into the arms of Jesus. And I want the first words out of his mouth to be, well done, good and faithful servant. I just, because if that hadn't happened, everything's been a waste. However many years God's given me. And Lord, I ask you give us wisdom to live lives like that. That when we see you in glory, one day, that they will be the words you speak to us. That we've used your money wisely. Because we love you and we praise you. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.